you went to ESPN or CBS or Yahoo or Fox Sports or any of those things, you're getting content for free and you're getting good content, right? It's not crap. And for The Athletic to work, we have to say that we're going to give you better content than they're going to give you. So if you're just going to sit around and wait for your opportunity, it's probably not going to come. There's never been an easier time to create content on your own to the point where somebody in the industry is going to be looking at you to, to bring you on board. This is the Work in Sports Podcast. Here's VP of Content and Engage Learning at WorkinSports.com, Brian Clapp. Anybody who has been listening to this show for a long time knows that I am not into motivational sayings or cliches. I'm just not that kind of guy. I appreciate those who like to put a poster on their wall explaining that there's no traffic on the extra mile or some other motivational saying, but that just doesn't do it for me. I'm not wired that way. It kind of gives me the weirdo tingles. Like I get this vision of being in a cluttered store with knickknacks everywhere and sayings everywhere and lots of letters and words and it smells like potpourri and I, and I start to feel kind of claustrophobic just even thinking about it. Which, yes, I mean, come on, I'm weird. Let's acknowledge that. Think how my poor wife feels. But that said, my grandfather, whose house may or may not have been filled with knickknacks and smelled of potpourri, had this one saying that's always stuck with me. He always told me growing up, you get what you pay for. That's the one saying that's kind of really stuck with me over the years. And because of that, I've always been willing to spend on quality. That's not an elitist perspective. I'm not saying that I'm frivolous and I just go buy a bunch of top shelf things. I'm saying when I decide that I want to make a purchase, I'd rather buy a few quality things than buy a hundred lesser. That's just the way I go about it. But I don't seem to be following that mantra with content, with sports content. I love this sports content and yet I don't follow that mantra. So I have failed you, Papa. I'm sorry. Seriously. As a kid, I had subscriptions to newspapers, magazines. I bought sports books. Like that was the way that I consumed information and I was willing to pay for it. I understood the calculus of the scenario. I pay and I get good stuff back. That's the way it works. But that all changed with this darn internet. We've absorbed this business concept of newspapers which is to defer costs through advertising and just put a lot of different advertising out there. Think about it. Newspapers would be 50 cents or a dollar because they have so much advertising in it. You don't need to pay as high of a rate defers the costs. But the digital experience, the internet took it over to a whole new level. It's free because we pay for everything through advertising. I don't know about you, but through my lens, the quality has suffered especially over the last five or seven to seven years, I feel like the quality of sports content and sports reporting on a lot of the free sites we all know and go to maybe a hundred times a day has suffered. The depth, the insight, the real reporting and analyzing, it's all diminished. It's as if every supplier of sports information said, go get me the best headlines, but don't worry too much about the underlying story. I've missed it. I missed the underlying story. I miss understanding the motivation and the conflict and the buildup. Like those are important parts of any story that make me more interested in the characters. And we're not getting that anymore. So, I mean, if you look at it and we all tell ourselves, I'm busy. I don't have time to read a long article. I don't have time to invest the time in a, in a story. And reading, unfortunately, takes a backseat to doom scrolling. But there is change available. Like if you want to make this change and say, I don't know, I could probably stop doing some of these other things that are not beneficial to me and maybe enjoy the concept of getting information. 
enjoy the concept of storytelling, spend a little time in a real, well-crafted piece of content, it's available. The Athletic started in January of 2016, a subscription model in a world of free. And I'll be honest, I didn't think it would work. The cynical side of me said, this audience, this society, this culture won't keep this project afloat. It will not work. And so I didn't subscribe. I didn't think I needed it. I didn't think I wanted it. But as I looked at it through the years, all of my favorite authors, many of the absolute best reporters in the sports industry are on this platform, crafting amazing work, the true owners and developers of the craft. And yet I was still able to say, nah, I don't need to pay for that. Got these free other things I can go to any day of the week. Well, two months ago, that changed. Two months ago, I decided it was time to dig into this platform and I love it. I really do. And I'm not just saying that. I really do love it. When you have a subscription model like The Athletic, you have to be accurate. You have to be thorough. You have to be innovative or else you lose your customer base. So they are constantly motivated to deliver quality to the audience. They are constantly on the edge of, of pressure, knowing got to deliver. I got to deliver. I got to deliver. And that brings out the best content there is. The athletics, all these things. Thorough, accurate, innovative. I want real stories. I want real reporting. I don't want fake debates. I'm done with hot takes. Clickbait is just annoying. I'm ready for more. And I think a lot of you are too. Today's guest, Evan Parker, is one of the leading architects of this project. As SVP and general manager, he and his team work hard to help create sports content that matters and is worth paying for. Let's learn more about this world. Here is Sports Business Journal 40 Under 40 Award recipient and SVP General Manager of The Athletic, Evan Parker. Hey, Evan. What's happening, man? Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Brian. I appreciate it. Yeah, this is really exciting for me. Somebody who's come up in the content side of sports media and and just to be able to talk to somebody in your position at The Athletic, I'm really excited about. But one of the things I always like to get into is, I don't know, people's origination story a little bit. So as you kind of look back and you think about your career and those kind of you know important moments throughout, when did you kind of figure out that sports was going to be your career path? When did you say to yourself, like, this is more than just something I enjoy being a part of. This is something I want to do for my, my life's journey. You know, I'm probably like everybody else that you've ever talked to about, um, about working in sports where I thought I was going to play professionally or something like that. And obviously that wasn't ever going to be in the cards. And I figured that out at a relatively early age that I wasn't going to be able to play, but I knew that I wanted to be in the industry. And so um, I thought that the, the best path for me to, to work in sports was going to be through journalism, through writing or broadcast. Um, and it was just something that I always loved. I grew up in LA and we had Ben Scully and Chick Hearn, Bob Miller doing play by play. And, you know, we had, um, incredible writers for the LA times, Jim Murray, who I got to read, you know, uh, every week. And so if you're a kid and, and you get the newspaper, I mean, like a, a physical newspaper that arrives at your front door, I, I would spend every morning before school pouring over box scores and reading columns and reading about whatever happened the night before, you know, like I, just like a lot of kids, I wasn't allowed to watch TV all night. I, I, I didn't often see the games. We didn't have cable, so I'm sitting there and seeing what the Lakers did the night before or reading what Jim Murray has to say about whatever the big topics in sports were. And it gave me this idea that, that you know, I, this was a path that I could be a part of the sports industry and get paid to, to cover games. 
And so high school was, you know, working on the, the student newspaper. I went to sports broadcasting camps, which in retrospect sounds incredibly nerdy, but it was a lot of fun. At the time. <laughs> but in a good nerdy way. I like that. Good nerdy way. And so yes. I got to do all that. And uh, I went to the University of Maryland and was a, a journalism cool. major. And I spent my time in college working at a TV station as a cameraman and on the radio doing play by play and writing and doing whatever I could to kind of get into the into the sports world. And I, I realized somewhere along the way that being a writer, being a broadcaster was a really hard path. Yeah. And, you know, I was, uh, I was at Maryland. I won't forget it. I was, you know, I was covering, um, doing play by play for Maryland men's basketball. They won this, the, the, uh, the national championship my freshman year. And for four years, I get to sit courtside and, and get to, you know, opine about the games or tell people yeah. what's going on for a radio station where, if two people were listening, I would have been, I would ask them what the hell they were doing right then, but they were listening to me versus anything else. But I was covering some of the best sports in, in America from a collegiate level. And I realized as I was getting close to graduation, that the ability for me to get back to that point, to be covering a Maryland men's basketball game as a professional broadcaster was going to be an almost an impossible task. You know, there just aren't that many roles for it. And I saw a lot of the people who were you know, older than me in school, go to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania and Syracuse, New York, and kind of these small towns and yeah. doing minor league baseball, trying to make their way up the ladder to get back to where I was when I was in college. Now, again, nobody was listening, but, but I was at least, you know, covering me at a certain games. level. Yeah. And I, I, I had this moment of like, I can't do this. I just don't mm -hmm. want that path. I don't know that I'm cut out for it. And so now I've got to figure out another way. And, um, I got really lucky. A, a buddy of mine in college, um, was interning at a radio station. And didn't know a ton about sports, knew I, I did and knew that that was kind of the path that I wanted. He got called by the radio station to go to, you know, Washington football team, uh, the local NFL team, obviously go over to, to the, the practice facility. Joe Gibbs had just come back for a second stint as head coach. Yep. Gibbs is going to be doing a press conference. We don't want you to ask anything. We don't want you to do anything. We just need you to have a tape recorder or shove it in, you know, in front of his mouth when other people are asking questions so we can get the sound for the radio. He was, he was too bear shy or generous. I don't know which to this day, yeah. but he, he asked if I could go and sit in. And so I went and I brought a resume and I gave it to the, the, at the time, the director of, of PR for, uh, for the team, Patrick Wickstead. Bold move. I like it. You know, you, you just, you, you don't know how many shots you're going to have. And I gave him yeah. the resume and I said, I'm, you know, I'm going into my senior year and, you know, would love to, to work in sports business. And so, you know, I would, would love to work for the team. And I got lucky that they had an internship program. They didn't pay you. I got paid in the press box through sandwiches. And as a college kid, it actually didn't bother me that much that I at least <laughs> knew on Sunday I was going to eat well. Yep. And that was my first introduction that there was this whole world of sports outside of playing, being a coach, being a general manager, or being a broadcaster, that there was this whole business aspect to it that I didn't know existed. And you know, now today, my job is to help writers and editors people that I thought I was going to become, help them do their best work, help them create really good content for sports uh, fans. And so it feels like it's a, it's a full circle thing. I'd be lying if I said it was in the path Yeah. that I kind of like plotted my career to get to where I am today. Um, but I'm fortunate that, you know, when you look back to what I was doing when I was 12, 13 years old, thinking I was going to be a, a sports journalist. Now my, my day is spent with sports journalists and, and, and every waking moment I'm thinking about ways that I can, make their jobs easier, make their jobs better so that sports fans all over the world are able to consume content. I love it. And it's such a similar story to one that I've, I mean, my shared my background too, except I was in Boston. So we were 
kind of polar opposites in some ways and probably cheering against each other a lot as I was a Celtics fan. Um, mm-hmm. But it's similar, similar path, you know, like just knowing that that was something that you were super enticed by the storytelling aspect of it. And then also knowing that a lot of people started in Pocatello, Idaho or Bozeman, Montana and built their way up that way. And that can be a, a pretty hard road. You talked about, you know, Washington football team and University of Maryland experience and then the athletic, but you had some stops in between too. You spent a long time at NASCAR, but one of your first stops was also at Edelman, which is one of the largest global PR agencies out there. You started as an account executive and you were on the marketing side a little bit. Did that broaden your view even further into the kind of world of sports business and all the different opportunities that are out there? Absolutely. And I actually didn't start on the Edelman side in sports. So I was hired um, coming out of college. I was able to get an internship with Edelman and I was going to be on the Lakers account. And it was uh, CSR for the Lakers. So I was doing their community events and things like that. And so I accepted the job. I was going to start two weeks later and the two weeks between me starting and or accepting and starting. The woman who oversaw the account left the agency and took the account. Oh, so the Lakers was no longer going to be my path. And I'm thinking, sitting there like, I've got this dream job. Yeah, now what? LA kid yeah. working for the biggest PR firm in the world, working on the team that you grew up rooting for. Oh, you couldn't get better. And um, I got lucky that Edelman felt bad about the situation and they gave me an opportunity to work on, on the Xbox business. It wasn't sports though. And so I spent three years on Xbox where I was doing you know, consumer PR for, at the time, it was the largest tech launch, uh, consumer technology launch in history. And it was really cool. It was video games, right? I mean, I'm not saying that I, I like wasn't able to do the Lakers and I ended up getting stuck on, you know, some, you know, some uh, kind of weird account that had nothing to do with my right. passions. It, it was something, you know, like just out of college. Xbox, still pretty cool. Xbox, yeah. <laughs> still cool. Yeah. But it wasn't sports. And I had to spend a lot of time. Edelman had a pretty large and thriving sports practice and I wasn't part of it. So I had to spend a lot of time on the Xbox business, elbowing my way into anything sports related. So if somebody mentioned ESPN or if they mentioned the NBA or something like that, my hand went up. I want to work on that. I want to be involved. And I was able to wrestle away a couple different projects that were sports adjacent and get enough of a relationship going with the actual sports department at Edelman that I was able to attend some of their meetings. I could hang out with them. I could read Sports Business Journal when I picked it up off their desks and things yeah. like that. And little by little, I was able to convince them that that I was better suited for their team than, than the business that I was on. I didn't want to be an entertainment marketer, but I've always looked at my career as like, what are you doing now? What have you done in your past that can get you to the, to where you want yeah. to go eventually? And I wanted to work in sports. I, I wanted to be as deep into sports as humanly possible. And NASCAR wasn't going to hire me, a, a guy who worked at Edelman on, on entertainment projects to, to you know, run the races. They weren't going to hire me to, to do brand marketing. I mean, I didn't have the right experience for the job that I wanted at the, at the league um, or any league for that matter. Yeah. But I knew entertainment and they needed somebody who knew entertainment and could bring an entertainment mindset and, and build entertainment projects and partnerships for the league. And that got my foot in the door. And then, I, you know, I was able to get deeper and deeper into sports until I have a job like I have today. So NASCAR is a pretty intense fan base. And you mentioned this experience with football and basketball, being a Lakers fan, Maryland basketball, et cetera. When you get to a place like NASCAR, and that is a fan base that is very smart, knows their sport, and it's like a very passionate, it always intimidated me, I would say, because I didn't grow up with NASCAR quite the same way as other people do. How big of a shift was that for you? What was that environment like to get in, get in with and feel like there's a, a bit of a learning curve or a barrier to being able to speak the right language to the audience? I didn't grow up with the sport either. You know, I grew up in LA. Yeah. It's not a hotbed for, for NASCAR here in LA. I'd never watched a race until I was in college and I had a roommate that 
watch some of the big races. And so I was able to, to, to watch a few, but it wasn't a sport that I had a lot of experience. in. when I got to Edelman, yeah. I was working on STP and armor all, I was able to go to a couple races because of my clients and it gave me an appreciation for the sport. I was able to go walk around the pits and see the cars up close and I could smell the gasoline and hear the engines and see these drivers kiss their wives and hop into the, to the cockpit yeah. of the car and go drive 200 miles or the drivers hour kiss around their wives, just to be clear. Yes. Not yet. Right. Yeah. Not me. I would know. <laughs> no. Um, and you know, these cars are inches away from each other and these yeah. guys are going ungodly fast and it gave me this appreciation. I'm like, okay, this is a really cool sport. I didn't grow up yeah. with it, but now I, I understand it a little bit more and I, and I appreciate it. And so when I had the opportunity, I wasn't looking for a job in NASCAR. I got called somebody again, you know, you, you build a network in this sport, in this industry. If you don't have a network, it's, pretty difficult to kind of make your way. And I got a call from, from the guys at NASCAR saying, we heard about you. We think you'd be the right fit for this, this role. And, and are you interested? And I was able to, to kind of talk my way in, in the interview of like, all right, I've been to some races. I know what I'm talking about. I'm not an expert, but you're looking for an entertainment guy in LA. How many of, of the entertainment guys in LA are experts in NASCAR? So it, it, I knew enough to kind of be dangerous. But I spent eight years in the sport. I lived in Charlotte, North Carolina for five of them. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the passion that NASCAR fans have for their sport is is hard to compare. I mean, I, I'd say in the U.S., there's probably nothing like it. You'd have to go to Europe and, and, and you know, Premier League fans and, and things like yep. that to kind of see that level of passion where it's not just a sport and knowledge they watch. And, yeah. Totally. It's not just like something that they like. It's a way of life. It's it's a culture. Yeah. It's um, their community that people who say you know, they save up their money, they save up their vacation days so they can go to a race every year and they have their RV in the exact same spot. And everybody around them are these people that they don't really talk to for 360 days out of the year. But for one week, they're all living together. They're all friends. And this is like their connection point. And, and you don't see that in a lot of other sports. So it gave me a, a huge appreciation for, for NASCAR, for the fan base that that's there and for what the league has to do to kind of cultivate that fan base, to build that fan base while also trying to broaden it, while also trying to get people who are like you and me who didn't grow up with the sport yep. and get them to pay attention and get them to engage. It's crazy. Like I'm, I'm listening to this and thinking to myself, like I, I started out at a national sports network. So I was used to covering the national, you know, storylines. And then I went to Fox sports Northwest where I was just based in Seattle and I was covering those teams. And when I first got there and I was the news director and I was like, everybody here knows more legacy knowledge about these teams the history, the little nuances of the story than I do. And it was so intimidating for me. And I can almost hear that coming from your experience going to NASCAR and, and feeling that pressure a little bit of knowing like, there's a lot of stuff I don't know. And yet I'm in a pretty powerful position. You took on management role at, at NASCAR too, as you, as you developed, put that all together for me. Like it's a big jump going from individual contributor, managing accounts, whatever, to then managing budgets and people and expectations and strategy. And now you're doing it in something like NASCAR, which is, as we said, a very intense fan base. Um, how is that, how is that, that transition for you adding management responsibilities into this sport that was somewhat almost new to you? Totally. And you add to that, I was doing entertainment work, which was valuable to the league in terms of getting more exposure, but not valuable to the, the core participants in, in, in the league in terms of what they thought was important for the sport. Yeah. And, you know, I think by the time that I left, I, I felt like I could go out to any track. I could talk to anybody in the sport and they believed that I, I sort of belonged, um, which was as much of an accomplishment for me as anything that I did. And anything my teams did was just like being able to, to be an outsider so clearly an outsider. Um, but by the time that, that my, my time at NASCAR was up, um, be kind of part of the family to the, the point that, 
you know, I, I still keep in touch with officials and, and senior members of the NASCAR team that when I started wanted nothing to do with me. Um, but now I, I consider friends, but, but, you know, also going from a, a world where at Edelman, I was managing two or three people at my start at NASCAR. I think I had one person on my team. And I think by the time I left the LA office, I had two to when I left the sport, I had 70. Um, wow. I went from having no budget, you know, just kind of like business development, trying to create projects to having, you know, budget in the, in the seven, eight figures. So, um, a pretty large swing in terms of responsibility in terms of what I did every day that, that had me sort of, you go from having to think about what do I need to do to make this little thing successful to now, what do I need to do to make my team successful? I can't do everything. I can't be on every call. I can't know everything that's going on. How do I empower people to do the job that they're supposed to do and trust that things are going well and make sure that if things are not going well, I'm going to hear about it. I'm going to be able to react to it. I'm going to give them the support that they need. I can manage up. I can manage down. I can manage across. Um, you know, that, that was a, a pretty difficult transition, but it, it's a transition. Not everybody has to make, right. You don't have to be a manager in, in our business to be successful and have a long career, but certainly for the path that I wanted to be on for what I thought my skill set was, I, I needed to be managing people. I needed to be managing departments. And, um, it, it's an incredible learning experience that now to this day at, at the athletic, it's, I spend 95% of my time managing people, managing process, not getting to actually do the work myself, but, but managing the pieces around it. And if I'm successful at that, the company has a good chance of being successful and it's a pretty big mind shift. But, but for me, it's, it's always felt way more natural than kind of being in the muck myself. Yeah. So let's dig into the athletic. Cause I I'm fascinated by it. Um, in 2019, you left NASCAR, obviously you'd built up quite a reputation there. You'd built this team, you were VP of content. And you start athletic as a VP and general manager. Why? Why make the jump? You know, I'd love to say it was because I was, you know, getting calls from the athletic and, and they gave me an offer that I couldn't refuse. But it, it was my wife. Um, you know, I'm married to, to somebody in the sports industry and she was working for the Charlotte Hornets at the time. And she got a call from the Golden State Warriors and they offered her a job to go uh manage their their jp morgan chase account as they were opening up the chase center so the biggest yeah. naming rights deal at the time in sports and she was she was going to get to manage that, that partner and there's no way that i could have done my job managing 70 people most of whom were based in charlotte north carolina from san francisco and i certainly wasn't going to live in charlotte while my wife lived in in uh, the bay area so had to make the tough decision that you know for for my wife to get to do something that's a once in a lifetime opportunity and a dream job for her and a really cool opportunity. I'm, I'm going to leave the sport that I love and, and a job that I was valued at and, and, you know, yeah. was getting paid to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to leave, I'm going to move to the Bay area with her and I'm just going to figure it out. And, um, you know, it was a risk, but I felt like 15 years into my career in the sports industry, the network that I had, I was going to find something and I was going to find something that was pretty good. And, um, I, I, you know, was able to, through the years, meet a couple of the um, investors in the athletics through the sports industry. And so um, Deepin Parikh, who uh, runs Courtside Ventures, which is a sports VC firm, went to the University of Maryland, somebody who I, I met in the industry and, and uh, got a friendship with. And I called him the day that that Maggie had accepted the job with the Warriors. And I said, buddy, I'm, I'm going to have to leave the athletic. I'm sorry, I'm going to have to leave NASCAR. I'm going to move to the Bay Area. You got to help yeah. me. And you invested in this company called The Athletic. And can you introduce me to anybody over there? Because um, I, I got to figure this out. And he introduced me to Alex Mather and Adam Hansman, the, the two founders. And I don't know what he said to them, but he said something, you know, this guy works in content. He knows sports and 
the athletic at the time had a pretty small HQ group. I mean, it was a ton of writers, a ton of editors, but yeah, very few people who were on the business side, who, especially on the business side, thinking about content, plenty of people who were engineers and product people, but not that many people who kind of knew the business side of media. Mm -hmm. And he, he gave me that introduction and I was able to convince them that there was a job that they didn't know that they needed and that, that I was the right person to fill it. And I got lucky that, you know, a month after leaving NASCAR and moving to the Bay, I, I was, I was joining the athletic as their first GM. And, uh, you know, now two and a half years later that it's, it, you know, I, I can't say this was the master plan. If Maggie hadn't gotten the job at the Warriors, there's no way that this thing would have ever probably happened. But, um, a decision that that neither of us have, have looked back on. It, it's a great answer, but all I keep thinking of is, damn, I should have interviewed your wife. Yeah, 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 yeah and you should. <laughs> no, I'm just you kidding. Should. No, I, I look, look, everybody who's ever met her likes her better than they like me. So, <laughs> I'm only um, playing, trust me. I'm not playing. I'm telling you the truth. <laughs> People tolerate me so they can hang out with her. <laughs> <laughs> same for me. I have the same situation in my, my household. Um, and I hope she's listening right now and knows that I said <laughs> that about her. So when you change companies, especially when you spent a lot of time at NASCAR and you've experienced their culture, you know how that's going to exist and you switch to a new one, that's a lot of changes in culture and yeah. style and process and community and strategy. Like what were your big eye-opening moments when you first started to dig into this journey at the athletic, which in this phase was still a little bit more of a startup almost going from the South from North Carolina to the Bay area, going from a company that was 75 years old to a company that was, you know, three or four years old. Yeah. Going to a company that had every single process already built every department full anything that you needed in NASCAR, you could snap your fingers and somebody knew where it was or how to do it. Right. Like the athletic had none of that, mm -hmm. you know, what's my budget? Uh, you know, what do you need to spend? Like, tell us what you want to spend. We'll figure out if we can get you the money. Um, you know, I got to travel here. How do I do that? Well, just, just book a ticket. You're an adult. Like you can figure it out. Right. There's a, a <laughs> yeah. lot of that stuff that just didn't yeah. exist. And I, you know, maybe I got soft in my eight years in NASCAR, just having all of this help and, and support that, that a startup doesn't have. Um, but the speed of NASCAR that things move is a lot slower. Right. NASCAR is a sport that's owned by a family and the, it has a lot of constituents. It has the racetracks, the drivers, the teams, the league itself, the broadcast partners. If you want to do something, you got to get everybody on the same page. And it could take days, weeks, months, years to get the consensus that you need to make any kind of meaningful change for the sport. Um, at The Athletic, a lot of the work that I've done in my two and a half years at the company, it was the first time that anybody had ever done it. There wasn't a blueprint. I didn't have to ask permission. It was just like, Hey, I got this idea. Well, we don't know how to do that. So just go figure it out. Or you want to change this to that, go for it. Because there's no reason why we were doing it this way before we just, we just did it this way. So there's not like this scar tissue of, well, we don't do it that way. Um, so it, everything moves a lot faster here. And it, it definitely took me some time to adjust to having to go through, you know, layer upon layer of approvals, even as a senior member of the NASCAR team, there was just a lot of stuff that you needed to get people to buy in on to make sure it was going to be successful. You need to get, you know, people had to, to kind of get behind your ideas to the athletic where, when I started, I was a one man team. Hey, we should, you know, one of the small projects I did my first year was the best of the athletic, mm -hmm. you know, there's a three-year-old company. They hadn't done a best of. So at the end of the year, you know, you put out 50,000 pieces of content and I thought oh, well, we should do best of like it hadn't been done. So there wasn't anything of like, well, this is how we do it, or this is who you have to talk to, or this is the process. It's like, all right, well, I, I'm the only person on my team. Now it's up to me to figure this out. And 
not that that was like a hugely successful, amazing thing that'll live until, you know, you know, I'm, I'm a hundred years old, but it just, for me, was kind of emblematic of, I wanted to do something like that at NASCAR. I was putting together a business plan. Yeah. I was selling it into my boss who was selling it to her boss, who was then going to the race teams, going to the track, going to, you know, the broadcast mm-hmm. partners, going to the France family that, that runs the sport and getting everybody to buy in. And then, you know, massaging the, the plan until like probably three years later, we would have, we would have made it happen. And in a month we had the best of the athletic and now we can, we do it to this day. It it just like the speed that a startup moves, the speed that a media company has to move when every single day we're having to put out content. Um, You don't realize when you're at a sport like NASCAR, we always used to complain that there's really not much of an off season. You know, NASCAR basically runs from February until November. Yeah. And the sport is always, everybody's tired by the end of the year. You know, like you're racing every single week, but you're not racing every single day. You're not racing every single minute of every day. When you're at a media company like The Athletic, you know, today there's Champions League being played. There's baseball getting ready for, for you know, for the, the playoff race. The NBA started doing, you know, in-person media events yesterday. NHL is is in, you know, the preseason. Uh, you've got women's soccer and, and you've got the MLS and you've got like, you know, Ryder cup was this weekend. There's, there was a boxing match and a UFC match yep. this weekend. There's never a time where there's nothing going on seven right. days a week, Thanksgiving, Christmas, your birthday, doesn't matter. We are creating content. We are putting out stories. Um, and, and the speed that this, that this business moves is way faster than anything else I've experienced. So let's talk philosophically about content. If you want content from the athletic as a user, you pay for it. And whether that's the main site, podcasts, verticals by sport, geography, you name it. And I'm here for it. I paid for newspapers and magazines and everything growing up because that's what I wanted for the content. Uh, that's what I demanded. If I wanted to read Lee Montville, Frank DeFord, Sally Jenkins, I was paying for it, right? Right. But how hard is that to maintain in today's media landscape when there's so much out there for free? It means that everything that we produce has to be better than anything you can get for free. Right. Because we're telling you that something that you've been getting for free for, for a lot of people their entire lives. Right. Like, yeah, you know, you um, you knew that you had to pay for content if you're going to read Sally Jenkins. Like that wasn't going to be for free. I, I you know, Frank DeFord, if you're going to get, you know, Sports Illustrated or whatever to your house, yep. like you, you had to pay for it. Yep. Um, and, and that was fine. But for the last 20 years, if you went to ESPN or CBS or Yahoo or Fox Sports or any of those All things, right you're there. getting content for free and you're getting good content. Right. It's not crap. You're, you're getting to read really talented people every day talk about the sports that you love. And for the athletic to, to work, we have to say that we're going to give you better content than they're going to give you. We're going to get you more personalized content than they're going to give you. Uh, we can tell stories that they'll never be able to tell because we don't have the same advertiser pressure. We don't have the same page view pressure that a lot of other media companies have. And so we can have a writer go out and go off and do something really ambitious that ESPN might say, hey, we need you to write the game that was just played. It was Monday Night Football. Like, go write the game story. We can say, don't write the game story because everybody else is going to write the game story. Why don't yeah, you yeah. go and it's out there. You know, find something interesting that nobody else is talking about? Maybe there's something that happened last night that everybody writing the game story would have missed because they're on deadline. They're trying to get the story out. And you can just sit there in the back and you can wait until you have your right moment or ask the right question. You can put the story out two days later and it's still okay for us. Um, you can go way deeper because... We're not just about having to write the story with the the big bold face name. You know, there's always that kind of um, knock on a lot of our competitors that you know it's not about LeBron James. About LeBron, then nobody yeah. cares about it, right? Like yep. then it's not, it's never going to be there. And our NBA writers don't have to write about LeBron James. I mean, they they write about him a lot. He's 
you know, maybe the best basketball player to ever live. Right. So you, you should probably write about him. But if there's a really good story about, you know, I don't know, Brooke Lopez, go for it. Because if it's a good enough story and you believe in it and you put your time into it, then fans of that team are going to find it to be interesting and they're going to want to read it. And, um, and, and that's kind of the battle every day. How do we make sure that we create content that is, that's differentiated, content that's better, content that shows you that there is value, that your money's going to something um, that, that's paying the, this, these, the, these salaries and allowing this company to survive? Um, and then the flip side of that is how do we get people to find it? We've had to spend a lot of time adjusting the way that we create content, the way that we distribute content to make sure that at the end of the day, people are able to find our content and read it. Because if, if you are just told that there's this company called The Athletic and you have to pay for the content, you're going to say, well, screw that. I'm not going to pay for it. But if you can see something, if you, if you know something ends up in your feed or, or, or you know, on Twitter or Instagram or wherever, and you give it a sample, maybe you'll, you'll say, okay, well, this is a little bit different. Um, and we've been creating a lot more free content over the last year because we know that we need to get people over to our site. So the yeah. game story from last night, everybody's got it. We don't have to do the game story any different than everybody else. Let's just do the game story. So if you can go find, you know, if you're looking for like a 300 word, who won the game, mm-hmm. you can go to the athletic for it, but it's going to be linked to all these deeper pieces of content that nobody else is going to have. And the hope is that you come to us because you want to find out who won the game. Was it the, you know, the Cowboys or the Eagles? So you, you Google that. Oh, the athletic wrote about it. You read 300 words. That's similar to what everybody else read. And then you see that there's some, you know, deep dive story and uh, into Jalen hurts and, and something that happened in his past or that he's working on whatever the hell the story is. And you say, Oh, well, the, you know, the athletic has Zach Berman and Bo Wolf is the, the, uh, the guys writing for the Eagles and they're really interesting guys. And look, this story is interesting. I'm going to click on it. I got to pay for it, but it looks like it's something that I want. There's a deal. I'm going to pay for it. And then Three years later, you're reading The Athletic, you got money coming into our bank accounts, you know, or the company account, and you don't even care. Like, this is money well spent. Because totally worth it to you. Yeah. You don't walk into a subway and, and say, I, I want a sandwich and expect not to pay for it, right? Like, you know, we're all yeah. used to paying for things that, that we want. Um, and, and if we can give you content that you want, our hope is that you never think twice about the money that you have to pay for it. And you'll think it's a bargain. The Athletic has an amazing roster of writers at this point. And I wonder, as I see that happening and I see these names that I've grown up reading and seen on other places and now that are at The Athletic as a landing point, I wonder if the model is a selling point to them where they feel like their work is actually being valued differently and that it is like, no, I'm, I'm putting work out there and people are paying for it and there is an exchange here. And that speaks to me. And I wonder, mm-hmm. I, I wonder to myself, like, is that a recruiting tool almost to say to them, like, hey, we're, we value your work and we're going to make people pay to see it. You know, we, we tell any writer that we're recruiting that this is where they get to do their best work. We're going to have yeah. you work with some of the best editors. We're not going to tell you how many words you need to put on the page. If you want an article to be a thousand words or if you want it to be 4,000 words, as long as it's good, go for it. If you need to take a little extra time on a story and you tell us I'm working on something big, so I can't do anything else for the next week. Great. Go for it. Like Put your time in and make sure that you're doing the best work. We're going to give you data every single day that shows you what worked and what didn't. So you can continue to hone your craft. You're going to get to work with all these other great reporters. You know, you think about like our, our baseball staff. Ken Rosenthal is one Amazing. of the best journalists. You know, he's the guy's incredible. I love Ken. And he's yeah. also one of the best teammates that you can imagine. Right. This is somebody who could be a jerk if he wanted to be right. He's got, you know, a million plus followers. He's on TV on MLB network and Fox every single week. And every, everybody in the industry knows him and feeds him information and everything like that. And he's the guy who's out there calling the, um, the youngest reporter on a beat and saying, Hey, what are you hearing? Or I've got this piece of information that would be helpful for you. 
or let's collaborate on a project, or I love that piece that you just wrote. I'm going to share it out. That's a huge selling point for us. And we've got, it's a company of 600 people, 450 or so are in the newsroom. You know, in the US, that's probably about, you know, 300 plus people in the newsroom. You get to work with some of the best talent in all of sports journalism. They're your teammates. You can collaborate with them on projects or you can just read them every day like I do. Um, and either way, it's really cool for our writers to be teammates with Ken Rosenthal and you oh, know, yeah. teammates with Mike Sando and teammates with Meg Linehan and all, all these people who, you know, you just think of like, wow, I, I would pay to read them. And now I get to work with them every day. It's, it's pretty cool. It is. It is. And you, you started to mention social media there for a second. As a content-driven site, you're trying to get eyeballs, obviously. Social media is an incredibly valuable channel for you to help amplify your brand. In the last year, you've put a big focus on building out that social media team. So let's lean into that for a second. Mm-hmm. First off, how, what's the result been like? As you started to invest more in that, that channel and that amplification, um, are you seeing the results you would have expected? We are. You know, the kind of the strategy for social in the early days of the company was let's give our writers a link to their story and have them push it out. It'll be paywalled and people will have to click on it and they'll either pay for it or they won't make a choice. Yep. You know, make a choice, but you don't need to invest a lot from the corporate accounts because at the end of the day, everybody's getting their articles. If you're already a subscriber, you're getting your articles in your feed. And if you're not a subscriber, you're probably seeing it from other readers or from the writers themselves. So let's just not invest in the corporate accounts. Um, you know, we realized pretty quickly that wasn't the right strategy. That in order for us to continue to grow, we had to create content specifically for social that got people interested in the brand of the athletic, that got people interested in the types of content that we were creating so that they would click those links and they would say, okay, now I'm going to pay for it. And a lot of what we do now is, is create content that is not just saying, here's a great article that was written by Stephen Nesbitt or Jason Jenks or Dan O'Neill, click on it and pay us money. But it's this is what's going on in sports today. This is what's happened in the game. This is a really cool nugget that one of our reporters got from a press conference that there's no article about it, but we're going to just show you this little piece of information that you're going to think is cool. Here's data that you might want to sink your teeth into that you can read as a tweet or as an Instagram post and not click into anything, but feel like you got some really good information. And then we say, as we build up our audience, as we get more engagement, now here's this Dan O'Neill piece like today, she has a great story on on Hubert Davis and in uh, and, and North Carolina um, basketball team. Well, to get you to click on that, we need to get people in our into our ecosystem who just care about the kind of content that we're creating. And they're going to click on things that are free. They're going to click on things that are meant to be consumed in social. And every once in a while, they're going to click on things with a paywall. And we think that you know that will get you to be more likely to pay for the content that is is really of value. Um, it's been a big shift. It's certainly been an adjustment for our staff that. In the early days, you know, our accounts were put, we had an account for every city that we were in. And they were just pushing out every single piece of content that we, that we put out. We, we, we don't send out fewer pieces of content today, but we just do it in a very different way. We frame it up differently. Um, we're, we're choosier about what we put out, when we put it out, how we put it out. And, you know, it's, it's, it's proving out to work that we've doubled our social traffic over the last year in terms of following engagements through the roof. Uh, you know, it, again, it's been an adjustment for our staff, but we're getting more people into our ecosystem. We're building the funnel and, and that's a necessary element for us in order to continue to grow the business. Yeah, it totally makes sense. So when you're structuring this team and you're trying to figure out what those assets are, I mean, we, we have a lot of people in our audience that are like, oh, social media, I love that creative side. You know, what are you looking for as you start to build out this team? Like, what are those things that you go to market and say, when I'm hiring and I'm building out this staff, these are the attributes I want to have. This is what, how somebody would fit in with our group and our team and where we're headed as a, as a unit. 
you know, we approach social slightly differently than a lot of our competitors. We're not clickbait. Um, we can't be, we have to have journalism be at the top of everything that we do. Our, our quality bar, bar is really high. Um, you know, there's a, a bit of a trend now that uh, a, a lot of social accounts in our industry are about the coolest video that you could find that may not be sports related, right? It's yep. the guy jumping off of a building with a parachute and, you know, you see it on every account or it's the, you know, the fan at the Buffalo Bills game jumping through a table. And, you, you know, you go to every account and, and, you know, I don't have to tell you what those accounts are. You probably know them, you see them in your feed and, and I'll see every day the same exact video from five or six different companies in a day. We don't want to do that. Um, it's not our brand. Our brand is journalism. Our brand is, is long form content from some of the best in the world. So when, when we're hiring for that, we need to find people who understand social, who understand uh, how quickly you, need, quickly you need to move, how you can frame things up for people to be interested in them, but above all else, understand quality and what is the athletic and what's not. This is the type of thing that we'll engage in. This is the stuff that we want, aren't going to touch. Um, you know, that, that to us is, is really important. And anybody who comes in here has to understand how we create content, what our voice is, what our readers are looking for. And, and you know, our, we're, we're not going to grow as fast as some of the others because we're not going to have, you know, videos that, that are incredibly sticky. You know, we don't have sports rights, so we're not going to be able to like yeah. put out highlights all day and we're not going to put out videos that have nothing to do with our content, nothing to do with sports. Um, so, you know, we, we kind of hamstring ourselves in a, in a little bit of, of a way because of that, but I believe that if you follow the athletic, every post that we put out there has some value, you know, some nutritional value that, okay, I learned something or this was interesting or educational or whatever, you know, you're interested in that you're getting something from everything that we do. And, and it's at the same bar as our, as our journalism, because what, the last thing that we would want is, you know, you're reading this incredible piece of content that somebody spent days and weeks and months, you know, putting together Dana's piece today, you know, that's like unbelievable journalism. And if we can't match her work with a social post that can represent what she put out there, then we're doing a disservice to our own staff. We're doing a disservice to our brand. Um, so everybody we bring in needs to know that that quality is, is the, the number one thing. We can be a little bit later than everybody else. Take an extra minute, make sure that mm -hmm. nothing's misspelled, make sure you're not making mistakes. Um, because we can't sully the name of the athletic, the quality bar that we've set. Otherwise, we're doing a disservice to everything and the business isn't going to grow. I love the respect you give the internal stakeholders and the audience themselves and saying like, no, we have to push out quality and we have to represent their stories well. We have to make sure we do this the right way. And that's the only way we can carve out our own separate niche. And I love that. I, I wish more people would have that mentality, especially as it comes to social. So in the last two years, We've all been talking about the change in audience behavior, right? Everybody's changing. Actually, it's more than the last two years. Forever, it's been changing to mobile experiences. And then through the pandemic, as things shifted that way and more people were at home and et cetera, et cetera. As you go through, and you mentioned data before about as you go through and you can give feedback and information to your reporters and your writers and to say like, hey, this is what's working. What are you kind of figuring out about the change in audience behavior and what is working and what is that kind of magic box of content right now? What are those things that are in demand? Something that, that we've learned over the last, I'd say, year or so is that in, in the early days, people came to us for the long form and they were probably going to CBS and ESPN and Yahoo and Bleacher and Barstool and everybody else. And they were getting a lot of different content. And then they come to The Athletic when, they, when they've got 20 minutes and they want to really sink their teeth into something pretty meaty. Um, but over time that shifted and people don't want to have multiple sports apps on their phone. They want to go to one place and they get as much information as possible. So we found that a lot of the short form content that we're creating 
uh, now has different utility than it would have had in the, in the early days of the business when people just never would think about us for that. Mm. And, and the, the daily battle that, that we face is how do you make sure that you keep quality high? How do you make sure that you keep people reading the really important journalism that we're creating while also giving them the score that they're looking for, right? You don't want anybody to open up the app and say, oh, I can't find out who won the game last who won, night. Yeah. I'm going to go to a different app, right? Because if you go to a different app, now you go to Yahoo to go find out who won, then you're not spending time in our app and you're not going to read the important piece of journalism, right? If you want to just say, I, I like there was a press conference today, LeBron, you know, today said something around uh, that, that he's, you know, vaccinated and that it was important for him and his family. And maybe you just want that little news like, oh, LeBron was talking about vaccinations. I'm going to go look at what he said. The athletic doesn't have it. You're going to go somewhere else and you're going to find it. Right. And so we've tried to become more of a one-stop shop for sports fans. Serve the sports fan wherever they are. Yeah. While not compromising the high quality long-form journalism that, that sort of built us. And, and that's, I'd be lying, right? If I said that that's easy because every single day yeah. you've got, you know, so much space in the app, you've got, you know, our writers only have so much time. We only have so much budget, so much mindshare. Editors only have so much time. Like how do you prioritize do you want somebody focused on this 3000 word investigative piece of journalism that took forever? Or do you want them focused on this little piece of content? Reality is we have to figure out a way to do both. And it's not, it's not simple. Um, but it, it's, it's what we need to do in order to continue to, to engage our, 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 you know, our subscribers, sports fans that at the end of the day, they, they just want information. They don't really care where it comes from. They just want to know what's going on. They want to be educated. They want to be entertained. They want to be, um, you know, they want to be able to go sit at a sports bar and talk to their friends and, and know what, what's happening in, in the entire world of sports. I'm getting stressed out just thinking of the scope of your job, man. You are, you got a lot coming on your plate. That's crazy. You know, but we've got the best journalists in the world, right? Like that, that helps. Job, that's a good starting point. <laughs> it, it, you know, the, the more that my, my team stays out of the way and just says, what do you need? How can we help? Yeah. The, the better our business is. And um, if, you know, I, I, I tell everybody on my team when they start, they could fire every single one of us. And if you take Ken Rosenthal and Dana O'Neill and Meg Linehan and, and James Myrtle and all these big names that we have on our staff and you give them a Tumblr blog and they get to write their stuff and put it out there, people are going to pay for it. But if all those guys leave and you got a bunch of people who look like me sitting around with this slick app that has all these bells and whistles, nobody, nobody wants that, right? They're right. coming for the journalism and we need to make sure that every single day the journalism is what shines and that our job is just to make sure that our writers have an easier chance of putting out good work because we're giving them every single tool that they need to be successful. It's amazing. No, and it makes sense that it all comes together, you know, both parts of the business. Um, we have a lot of, as I mentioned, we have a lot of young people in the audience. We'll finish up with this. And I'm so respectful of the time that you've given us this amazing conversation. We have a lot of young people in the audience trying to find their path, kind of discover where they want to go. A lot of people that love the content and journalism side, but hey, competition's high for these jobs. You don't start out of the gate being Ken Rosenthal. In your perspective, having been through it, having worked with a lot of different reporters and writers and people coming up on this side of the content and journalism side of the sports industry, uh, how would you talk to somebody if you, if you were talking to a, a college group or you were talking to a young person that came up to you and said, hey, this is what I want to do, what, what kind of advice would you give? So I think you know it's a good question, Brian. There are two major things. One, your network is paramount in the sports industry, probably is in a lot of industries, but, but sports in particular. You have to meet people. You have to stay in touch with them. You have to engage with them often because that's where you're going to get your opportunities. Every time we post a job, we get hundreds, if not thousands of resumes. Nobody can go through all of them. You're not going to be able to find the needle in the haystack. So, you know, it always helps to know people who can kind of get you in front of the right people and, and, and help advocate for you and, and get your foot in the door. So I think that's number one. 
Number two is it's never been easier to create content. And so if you're somebody who wants to be a journalist, you know, when you were coming up, if you, if a radio station didn't want you and a newspaper didn't want you and a magazine didn't want you and a TV station didn't want you, what the hell were you going to do? Right. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. Trust me. I had those fears. You had no chance. You're giving me chills just thinking about it again. Right. When I was in college, I was putting together demo tapes. I was going to send out because if, if I didn't get yep. a job and you know, I didn't, but if I wasn't able to get a job as a journalist by my tape, I had no ability to create my own content. And now you could start a blog. You can get, yeah. you know, build a Twitter account. You can get a YouTube account. You can get a Facebook account, an Instagram account, a TikTok account, a Snapchat account. There's so many things that you can do to create content on your own. And you need to get reps and you need to build your audience. I mean, for our business, it really helps if you already have an existing audience. When you create content, there are people there who want to read it. And if you are waiting for that chance to go work for a, you know, an ESPN or a Bleacher or The Athletic, if you're saying, I have to wait until I'm there in order for me to actually go out there and nobody wants to read my stuff. So I'm just going to be dormant and just wait till I get that job. You're not going to get the job. And if you did right. get the job, you're not going to be able to you know, entertain an audience because you don't have one. So start your own blog, start a podcast, get a, get a Twitter account and do whatever you need to do to start showing people, get reps, hone your craft and get your name out there. And you can build, there are plenty of people who are completely self-made in this. You know, I think about, uh, you know, there's a guy, Kendall Baker, who, does the uh, the newsletter for Axios Sports? I, I, you know, I don't know his story backwards and forwards, but from, from what I uh, what I gather, at one point he decided that he wanted to, to write a newsletter. He put it together on his own and was able to little by little through elbow grease build up a meaningful audience. And then Axios comes, and now he's got this massive national platform. It wasn't like yeah. they they didn't pick this guy who like had every you know advantage and, and, and everything to create newsletters. He did it on his own. Um, we have a lot of writers like that, that, you know, started off somewhere small and little by little, they've kind of fought their way up. And so if you're just going to sit around and wait for your opportunity, it's probably not going to come. You, there's never been an easier time to create content on your own, for your own channels, build a small audience and then get your name out there. And little by little, it can compound to the point where somebody in the industry is going to be looking at you to, to, to bring you on board. Evan. Amazing conversation. Sports Business Journal, 40 under 40, something I will never, ever achieve. So congratulations to you on that, by the way. I appreciate Um, it. Thank you for coming on and sharing so much more of your story and journey. So thank you so much for coming on. Brian, it was a lot of fun. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you to Evan Parker for coming on the show today. So exciting to talk to him. I love diving into the side of sports content and it's clear how motivated they are to deliver the best product available. And I find that something I'm willing to invest my time and my money in. So I hope a lot of you will take that lead as well and check out The Athletic because I think you'll get your sports information there in a really high quality way. Thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. We are continuing to grow this audience. And because of that, we're bringing in better and better and better guests. We're stacking them up and it's just getting better and better. So the more you're involved in this community, the more you subscribe, rate, share with somebody else, the more we grow. So thank you for being a part of it.